Did you know that the most important number in determining your life expectancy is not your blood pressure? It's not your cholesterol level. It's not how many miles you run or how many steps you take each day. It's actually your zip code. In some communities like Dallas and Louisville, there's a difference in life expectancy of 15 years between residents that live only six or so miles apart. In general, these wild health disparities are founded on complex interactions between economic, educational, racial, and other social factors. If you put a tracker on your weekly trips, you would find that you interact largely with friends and families who eat similar foods, shop at similar grocery stores, attend similar schools. But someone from that other neighborhood, their tracking data would look quite different. Where you live impacts a lot of determinants of your health, and it influences where and how someone might obtain health care. You are likely to access different hospitals or clinics than families that live on the other side of town or in a different city. Healthcare disparities most often affect people who have been historically disadvantaged in other social and economic ways. A recent study, for example, completed by the Urban Institute and funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation showed that black patients don't have access to the same hospitals that whites do. Because black patients tend to be at hospitals with lower patient safety and overall clinical quality scores, they are less likely to receive the same clinical quality as white patients. In fact, in that study, of 11 patient safety measures included in their analysis, four related to general patient safety and seven related to surgical quality, black patients saw lower quality of care than white patients. These differences have been especially exaggerated by the COVID-19 pandemic. It's very hard for any single hospital to try to address these complex social disparities, but getting real personal does everyone who enters a given hospital get the same quality of care? Maybe we all can help reduce healthcare disparities by first addressing them right where we work, at our hospital, in our clinic. Welcome to Key Into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, patient experience, and affordability. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Timothy Morgenthaler, the Vice Chair of Quality at Mayo Clinic, and co-hosting today's conversation is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Hello, everyone. I'm Sherry and I'm a Consultation Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. And I know our topic today is probably top of mind for almost all the healthcare organizations around the country today. Today, we're really glad to be joined by Dr. Chris DeRienzo. He's the Senior Vice President and System Chief Medical Officer for Wake Med Health and Hospitals in Raleigh, North Carolina. In addition to being a neonatologist and a sought-after speaker and healthcare leader, he authored a very interesting book called Tiny Medicine, One Doctor's Biggest Lessons from His Smallest Patients, which has been very well received and it's available on Amazon for any interested listeners. Chris is our first guest on Key Into Quality who is not a Mayo Clinic employee. So how on earth did that happen? Well, in healthcare, we never compete with each other on quality and safety. We think everybody deserves the highest quality and the highest safety standards. So instead, we all aim for the highest quality and safety, and we share our talents and our knowledge to advance those goals. I've gotten to know Chris through some volunteer work that we both do with yet another high-quality health system, Mercy Health, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri. Through sharing in those roles, I learned that under Chris's leadership, WakeMed had recently started tracking quality and other key performance indicators in a way that could shed light on disparities where he worked. At Mayo, we were starting that, down that same road, and they were doing the same thing at Mercy. And when I heard the kind of work that they had been doing, I knew that I had to have him come and share what he and his organization are learning. So, Chris, welcome to our podcast. Tim, it is an absolute honor and a pleasure to get to join you today. Thanks for inviting me. 
Well, thank you so much. You know, Chris, when I learn a little bit about you over the past years, you know, I, I know that you're uh, super geeky when it comes to analytics. I know that you're a <laughs> neonatologist with a passion for patient care. I know that you're a healthcare leader. And I've also learned over the years that uh, you're a little bit of a of an athlete. I think the last time I saw you, which in person was some years ago due to the COVID pandemic, you were training, I think, for your second marathon of the year or something. What are you doing these days, Chris? <laughs> so, so first of all, I think the word you were looking for there, Tim, was adorkable. I, I think that, that my, my kids my kids would refer to me as, as an adorkable geek. But no, on, on the athlete side, I just finished, uh, I raced a our marathon here locally in Raleigh called City of Oaks. And that was, it was a terrific race. It was cold for a North Carolinian. You guys up in Minnesota are used to 19 feet of snow and whatnot, but 40 degrees here and, you know, I'm, I'm shivering, but it was a, a great day and a great race heading into kind of the winter strength training season. And we'll see, hopefully 2022 brings lots more opportunity to do things in person again. Yes, we all hope so. Well, Chris, thanks again for being here. So, you know, as I mentioned to our listeners, I had learned that your healthcare organization started to work on, on how to measure whether the healthcare being delivered in your system suggested disparities in quality outcomes. So, you know, what made you guys start to look at that and tell us about your journey a little bit? Absolutely, Tim. So the, those numbers that you referenced in communities across the country, they're reflected right here in the communities we serve. Wake County is a three hospital, seven emergency department integrated system based in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is the capital of our state. We serve Wake County which is the capital county, about 1.2 million people in the surrounding region. And even within our local community, we see a 12-year difference in life expectancy from zip code to zip code. So where our headquarters, our main uh, Raleigh hospital is located in 27610, as of 2019, the average life expectancy was only 76. Uh, Whereas if you go just a few miles down the road to 27617, it's more like 88. So our CEO and our board take that incredibly seriously. Uh, And especially the burning bridge for us was as we walked through the early days of the COVID pandemic, and it was abundantly clear that challenges in health equity were driving differences in many of the outcomes we were seeing. So that's really where uh, this most recent kind of elevation began for us. So you saw the gap all the more clear during COVID, which I think everybody has experienced. You know, you're noticing the gap. Noticing a gap is always a first part of change, but then you have to take some first steps. What'd you do? That's exactly right. So first, to your point, you notice something anecdotally. So we then had to build the data structures needed to say and quantify what is the difference we're seeing. And I I recall in those early days, building out dashboards and Tableau and and whatnot, and forcing the function that says we have to get race, ethnicity, age, zip code. We have to have that in our core COVID dashboard. It wasn't there when we started, and it was there within a couple of weeks as we began to see just sort of the evolution of the pandemic within our community. And we began being able to put numbers to that. And what those numbers told us was our home zip code, 27610, was seeing the highest case counts around the entire state. And we, we knew that that meant we had to begin doing things about it. Uh, so if you look at Wake Med as a community health system, we've had deep community partnerships for a long time. And once able to put some numbers to the, the anecdote, could bring uh, together you know, partners to, to take action. Uh, and a number of actions were taken early on around masks. But really, I, I think vaccines is, is an area that we should have a, a good, robust conversation on. Before we go into that other very interesting stuff, I, I'm just going back to something you said. You started making zip codes and race and gender and things like that part of your dashboards. Did you find that all of those data were easily available in your EHR? Terrific question. <laughs> 
uh, perhaps a leading one, because the answer is not 100%. And so we've done a lot of work trying to standardize how we capture many of our social determinants data points. And I think I've done a pretty darn good job, but none of those were, were 100%. Zip code was more prevalent. Age is certainly the highest prevalence. Uh, but when you get down to race, ethnicity, we began to, to ask some sort of, to your point, kind of geeky data governance questions. And how do we identify most completely our Latinx population? Because race and ethnicity are captured at EMR as two different things. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we had to sort of redefine how we were looking at the relevant groups of folks and patients who identified as multiracial. How do we, we think through that? We don't want to lose them, but they don't fall into one of kind of the, the core classification buckets offered by the, the dashboard system. So yes, was definitely a big data governance challenge and one that has now benefited us as we walk through the core COVID dashboard through our vaccination efforts and ultimately into our broader care transformation work. I really want to get into the care transformation work, but staying in the geek land here for a minute, because it's so important, <laughs> I think, because I'm hearing from other organizations, and I know it was true of our databases at Mayo, is where is this data actually stored? How is it captured? How do we access it? How do we categorize it? So you had a whole body of work to do there, and then you had another body of work, which was to say, well, if we have and when we have those data, then how do we display outcomes or process measures and be able to rank them or, or segregate mm -hmm. them by these various factors. Did you embark on those simultaneously or sort of first one and then the other? Or tell us a little bit about you know, the nuts yeah. and bolts of how you did that. Yeah, a little bit of both. So again, we were fortunate to be starting from a place where we captured the overwhelming majority of the data points we wanted on the front end. But we then had to figure out what do we do with them? And are we looking at them right? And are they right or wrong and so on? As we progressed over the course of the year, the state really lit up statewide and began supporting as a statewide initiative, ensuring that everyone was capturing a race, ethnicity, you know, gender, zip code, et cetera. That was a really, a really important first step. And then we learned, frankly, with our first COVID case dashboard, how to begin integrating it, which then translated to a better way to look at it in our vaccination dashboard. And ultimately now where, frankly, it's just part of our core filter set for our care transformation, right next to you know, filtering by date that we see the patient or by attending provider or by a care transformation process, right there next to that is race, ethnicity, gender, age, the code. So I'm curious about what problems or challenges maybe you encountered as you try to detect differences in the quality outcomes. We'll turn to vaccination as a terrific example of that. It was hard early on to know, were we doing what we thought we were doing? And once we started to see the data, Challenge number one was coming to terms with the fact that even though we thought that we were going to the right places and doing the right things, we weren't. We were not getting to the health equity proportionality that our county's population needed, which then meant, Sherry, that, that we had to very intentionally say, in order to just get to equity, we have to over-resource these health equity targeted vaccination processes. And that was a really interesting turning point in our thinking because it meant acknowledging that we don't have an answer. And we were incredibly lucky to have folks who come from historically marginalized populations serving within our provider team. Uh, and when they came up to help, you know, our answer then could be, you tell us what we need to do in order to get events that are 80, 90, 95% into the arms of people from historically marginalized populations, we'll resource it and make it happen. And that's exactly what we did. So, Chris, I know it's a huge topic, but give us an example of something that you hadn't thought of before when it comes to vaccination that 
you know, the data kind of drove, okay, we need to do something differently and tell us the, uh, the aha. Yeah, I'll give you two examples, Tim. So one, we hosted early on a, a big drive-through event and thought to ourselves, man, we've got these events at sites that people get out of their cars. Maybe we need the kind of event where folks can just stay in their car and that'll help folks with mobility issues and so on and so forth. We had people walking through our drive-through events. Why? Because some of those patients were homeless. And right across the street from our drive-through is one of the hotel sites that during the peak COVID times served as sort of a temporary housing location for some of our homeless community members. And as a result, they walked through our drive-through. Uh, and that was not something I would have predicted, but we got to a population who otherwise would have had no access. The other one I guess I'll lift up is this team of, of providers who've made national news as the sister circle. They're a group of Black female physicians, uh, all of whom connected to WakeMed, who I recall in those early days saying, we know our community and we can make this happen. It's not going to be in put up a clinic here or a site here. It's going to be us hosting strike teams. And at the time, we didn't even know how to do that. The Pfizer vaccine was supposed to be in triple, double, cold, super freezer, whatnot. So we said, if that's what we got to do, we'll figure it out. And I recall that first couple of weekends, the team work trying to figure out how do we put 200 shots in a stable thing and get them to a church, get them to a restaurant, get them to these places where the sister circle leaders were telling us, this is where we got to go to make it happen. Uh, these are who our partners are going to be. And, and our answer was, okay, we'll figure it out. Wow. I mean, so there's a lot of learnings for organizations here about uh, community outreach and engagement with community partners and all this. Let's leave for a moment. So I know you started with COVID and tell us some of the other journeys you've had here where, you know, you've, it's now part of all your dashboards. What are some of the other surprising learnings here? That's exactly right. Our CEO saw what we could do with COVID as we began sharing those numbers from the dashboard. And his challenge to me and, and our team was, why is this not part of everything that we do in terms of our analytics? What, what is the barrier to having 100% of our care transformation work include the ability to study what we are doing and ask and answer the question we think we're giving with a, a care transformation project around sepsis or around uh, opiate reduction? We think we're doing the same thing for everyone. Can we prove it? And I recall bringing that to our analytics team and they said, I don't think anyone's done that before. So it took, frankly, a couple of months to say, well, how do we translate what we learned how to do, both from a process perspective and from a technology perspective for COVID to our core work that, that was actually being built to scale at, at exactly the same time. As the team did that, came to realize the first step, and so challenge number one is just getting the data there. And then... Challenge number two is once it's there, figuring out what to do with it. Uh, and I think there's a really interesting conversation to be had there. Yeah. So give us an example of something that started out of that work. Yeah. So truthfully, transformation number one is our ability to now encourage teams to not just look at their top level outcomes and say, oh my gosh, we've done this amazing work. I'll lift one up within our urology uh, practices, independent and employed in terms of reducing opiate utilization for some of their procedures. At just a very top level, we can see that their morphine equivalents have dropped more than 50% for folks we get on the pathway. And so then we can ask the question, well, that's great. Is it happening across races? And the answer is yes. Is it happening across ethnicities? And the answer is yes. Uh, what about gender, age, and so on? These were not even questions that 
we would have been able to ask before had we even thought to ask them all of the teams now really are, are in exploratory phase of saying okay what's a big enough end for us to be able to say if we look at this and we see a delta is it real or is it not real if we look at this and, and everything looks you know approximately is that a good thing or is that a bad thing if this population has been historically marginalized do we need to make a bigger change in order to get to the total high level outcomes. So really, I think our biggest learning so far, Tim, is we're learning just how much we don't know now that we have data to begin asking so many more questions. So any pitfalls or things that maybe our listeners can learn from you, Ron, just things that you've learned along the way that maybe can avoid them, the challenges or some pain points? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think the biggest one is for those of us who are, are physicians uh, who've grown up in medicine, when we get to conversations about data, uh, we can oftentimes get super defensive and say the data is wrong, my patients are different, and and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And the first step as we look at these kinds of analytics is to acknowledge that perfect is the enemy of done. We're not going to have 100% capture correct race and ethnicity and gender and zip code data. We're not going to have perfect capture of every patient who is not or, or is on a pathway, you know, and so on and so forth. What we can begin doing with that though, is asking questions. And so if we see a difference, we need to be super clear. We're not saying, oh my gosh, you are treating your patients differently. That's not the takeaway. The first takeaway is this is what the data is telling us. Now let's begin asking why. And I think getting to that sort of first step uh, and being you know, super clear with uh, the clinical teams that that we're not using this data as a hammer to tell you you're doing something bad. We're using this data as information to help us learn why we're seeing this outcome or that outcome. That's a really personal and potentially challenging conversation and one that we've really just started to get experienced in having. Chris, I just love where you're bringing us here because this lack of equity in healthcare outcomes is a stain on our nation, uh, really. And it's not just our nation, it's across the globe. We have to be able to do better. But boy, it's just so difficult to think about how are we going to address these extremely deep and complicated social issues. But when you bring it into your hospital and start asking the whys, like you just described, you know, like, okay, the data show that there very well may be a difference here in how we're handling these two different kinds of people. Is it true and why? And I think when we have that sitting in front of us, as uh, healthcare leaders and healthcare professionals, that's where we can start to make a difference. I'm very excited about this work. That's why I just had to have you come and share this with our, our listeners, because I think it really portrays a bold vision moving forward. This is something that we all can be in. At Mayo, we have an all-in campaign. We're all in, and we all can be in on this, because this is our healthcare institution. This, these are our patients. These are our practices. Not that we can't get socially involved, but hey, we can look right close at home. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, but we could have this conversation for a long time, but we are coming to the end of our podcast. We're so glad you could join us. We hope actually for all of our listeners that this information has provided insight and is valuable. Chris, any parting words for our listeners? Tim, you know, I really appreciated the conversation that we've had. I, I guess I would reflect back to our shared experience at Mercy. A quote that I have on a wall in, in my office is one of Catherine McCauley's famous sayings, and that's the simplest and most practical thing I know is to resolve to be good today and better tomorrow. And I think anyone who's seeking to tackle this work 
has to both acknowledge that uh, we're not perfect now, but we're not going to become perfect tomorrow. And our goal is to continually march towards better. Uh, and if the work that we're doing is intentionally driving improvement, then we're on the right path. Wow. Oh, Thanks heard. so much, Chris. Yeah. So again, this has been Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast. We aim to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for the patients and the populations that we all serve. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help us a lot by rating it on your podcast platform. Also let others in your organization know about it so the information can be spread. Until next time, goodbye.